tonight, I want to take you to First Luke chapter 2, and the title of this message is called, The Most Wonderful Time of the Year. Somebody say that to your neighbor right now. Say, The Most Wonderful Time of the Year. Now look at your second choice, the person you didn't speak to at first, and just say, Wednesday night church looks good on you. Awesome. So this is what it says, Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 8. It says, that night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, as any of us probably would be. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. He said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. Let me just say a quick prayer. Father, thank you for this night. God, thank you for our brothers here at First Baptist. God, I thank you for all the Life Church people that are here in the service tonight. God, I pray that you would just speak to us, Father, that you would minister to us, you would open our minds and hearts to receive your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, there was a song written way back called The Most Wonderful Time of the Year, where there will be kids jingling and, and, uh, and everyone telling you to be of good cheer. There's nothing more annoying than being in a, bad, in a bad mood and somebody telling you, be of good cheer. Is anybody else? Can you relate to that? And, you know, I know that as a believer, and sometimes people... They think that us as Christians, nothing can ever go wrong. But we know that the Bible says that it rains not only on the, un, on the just, but also on the unjust. It's going to rain on everybody. It's going to storm on everybody. But we have a hope. We have a joy that's deep-rooted. Um, how many of you know there's a difference between happiness and joy? You realize that? Happiness has to do with what's happening the happenings that are going on. And sometimes everything can be happening good and in my favor and I got some happiness. But the other times that I have to reach down for the joy that's on the inside of me. Maybe you can relate to some stories that I've got to, I got to tell you. Um, my daughter, Hope, she was in here a minute ago. She's right here. I'm going to tell a story on this cute little four-year-old right here. She has a, don't, don't let her fool you, her mouth is way bigger than her body. And uh, her, she looks very sweet, but that can be deceiving as well. I love you, baby, Hope. And uh, anyway, so we have this thing that I, I would call my adopted daughter, Riley, that she started in our house where we do high points and low points at supper time sometimes. The few times that we actually, in our busy schedules, all get to sit down together and, and uh, have supper. So we were going around, and high points, low points. What was the highest point of your day, and what was the lowest point of your day? Just kind of communicating, talking about our lives and connecting with each other. And, and so Hope asked Riley, she said, Riley, what are low points again? In her sweet little voice, what are low points? And so she explained it. She said, a low point is the bad part of your day, the worst part. She said, okay, yeah, I got it. She said, my low point today was spending time with my family. <laughs> and Riley starts trying to correct her. No, 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 the low point is supposed to be the bad part of your day, not the good. She said, yeah, yeah, I got it. it. It was spending time with my family. She said, I want new sisters. That one and that one, they both can go. 
How do you know sometimes life feels like that? The things that should be good in your life, the things that you should be celebrating end up being the thing that just kind of grates you and grinds you. I mean, maybe you can't say amen to that because they're sitting next to you tonight. That's all right. I understand. But, uh, you know, all the time different things that, that happen and go on. And the most wonderful time of the year, we've already, in my house, we've already had our first Christmas party. So the other night we had a Christmas party with, uh, with some, uh, married couples at our house. And, and last night about 8.30, I decided I need a snack. I need some kind of snack. So I started digging around in the kitchen and I found these chocolate covered espresso beans. Has anybody ever heard of such a thing? Chocolate covered espresso beans. And I got excited. And so I tried one and it was the most incredible thing that I've ever eaten. It was about 8.30 at night, I might add. And I kind of had a cold going on. I've had a cold. Y'all might want to disinfect this mic when I'm done. And so uh, it was so good I couldn't eat just one. I ended up eating all but two of them in the bag. Doesn't it make you feel better if you leave a couple? Then you can say, I didn't eat the whole bag. I left two in there. And so last night, because I have a, had a cold, I believe in medicine, amen. And so I took the, the glorious anointed NyQuil to help me go to sleep. And uh, I also, y'all don't judge me now, I also took some melatonin. You know what that is. It's the sleep hormone that your body releases. That didn't come anywhere near to touching the power of those espresso beans that I ate. I laid there with my eyes flickering, rolling until about 2 a.m., the most wonderful time of the year. Can you relate? And all of that, knowing that I was going to come over here and be nervous because I'm out of my comfort zone, and so I got no sleep last night. And, uh, I mean, you know it's something powerful if the NyQuil wouldn't even touch it. But what Jesus has done, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you through a, an Old Testament story that, that really kind of rocked me not long ago because I was thinking about it. It's one that you've heard about since you were a kid, but... I was thinking about David, and, and right now I want to go ahead and say, just remember this about David, that David was a man after God's own heart. He was a man after God's own heart. Let that sink in, that David was a man after God's own heart. Now, all the, all the troubles and everything going on, I had another friend, just before I take you to another scripture, I had another friend I was talking to last Wednesday night, and he said, man, this is the toughest time of year for me. And this was a, a guy who's been through Teen Challenge, and, and he, he doesn't really have any family. And, but one of the things he said to me that, that kind of made me think in ways that I had never thought about before was, he says he goes to work every day, and everybody is complaining. They're all griping and complaining. He said, they've got everything. They've got family. They've got all, uh, they've got jobs. They have insurance. They have all of this stuff going for them. He said, if they could see where I had been, he said, I have absolutely nothing. He said, my only hope is, is that I could actually afford a ticket to fly home to see some of my family that's in New York City. And so I started, uh, as I was talking to him, uh, I, I felt like I, I got to invite, you got to come to my Thanksgiving. Come hang out with us at Thanksgiving. You'll fit right in with all of us crazy people. He said, well, I don't want to be like that weird uncle. And in my mind, I thought, you have no idea the shadow that you would sit under from the weird aunts and uncles that are going to be there. But I didn't say that publicly. But all of this, like I'm saying, the happiness is just what's happening, the things that are going on. But Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, and then I'm going to get into the meat of this. It says, that's why we never give up. 
Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles that we can now see. Rather, we fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things that we cannot see will last forever. You know, I've walked through times, even though I, I grew up as a, a pastor's kid, you know, sometimes they say they the, the preacher's kids are the worst. I did try to live up to that for a little while. Um, God forgive me. And I, I, I figured it out real quick that the, the wages of sin are death. I mean, they destroy you. They, they'll depress you. And, and what I know about God is that God is a good God. No matter what you're walking through, no matter, no matter what you see going on around you, no matter how the enemy is coming against you, let me tell you this, God is good, he loves you, and he has a purpose and a plan for you. A good plan. Just, I love Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above what you ask. Come on, it gets so good. Above what you can think. Above what your mind can even imagine. That's the God that we serve. That He's got good things in store for us. I know by 1 Peter 5.8 that our enemy, the devil, roams about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's going to whisper lies into your ears. He's going to send, come on, uh, uh, wouldn't life be great if it wasn't for all the people sometimes? He's going to send people who are just rude, accusers that don't make any sense. Satan will, will continually throw up mistakes that you've made in your past and bring them back up to you. I know by, by John 10.10 10, that the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But, but God, he came to bring me life. Jesus said this. He said, I have come to bring you life and not just life, but a life more abundant. But even knowing all of this, sometimes it can still feel like, where is this abundant life? Where is this? Even my own four-year-old says, I want a new family. What am I going to do, you know? All the pressure that, that's going on in my life, all of the, all of the things and, and, and depression that don't make any sense. I know that I have the joy, but yet I'm in a bad mood and I can't even tell you why. I don't even know why I'm upset, but I know that there's something on the other side. There's something that the Holy Spirit can give you to where you have joy unspeakable. Amen? You have, you have joy that don't make any sense. When everything is dark and everything is collapsing around you, God can give us something that only He can give. A joy overwhelming, overflowing. Listen to this in John chapter 15. It says, Jesus said this, Yes, I'm the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I love how it says you remain in him. You're not just going to produce a little fruit, but you're going to produce much fruit. And we know what that fruit is. It's love. It's joy. It's peace. It's patience. It's, it's goodness. And it's faithfulness. So God's got good gifts for us. He's got a good plan for us. So what's the problem? How can we have more of this joy overflowing? How can we have it? Look at your neighbor right now. Say, how could you have more joy? You need some joy. Tell somebody they need some joy. So I preached not too long ago on the 
just kind of on some things in David. Man, there's so much. There's a thousand sermons on David that you can preach. Good stuff. And we know that if you go back, that uh, Saul was anointed king, but he messed it up, right? God said, go destroy all of the Amalekites, go destroy all of the enemy, everything. Get rid of all of this stuff. And Saul, he goes and he halfway carries out the commandments of God, and he keeps some of the best prized animals, and he brings them back, and he's going to make a sacrifice in front of all the people so all the people can see what an awesome king he is. And the, the, the prophet walks up, Samuel walks up, the priest, and says, uh, why haven't you carried out the commandment of God? He's like, well, I did. And I, it's so, I mean, it's just like a comedy. Because the, Samuel looks at him and says, what then is the bleeding of sheep? I hear, in other words, he's like, I did everything God told me to do. And there they are right there. And so then we know that David ends up being anointed as, as king. And the first time, the first big feat, I mean, I could talk about all of it. I mean, when you think about David, he was forgotten, even by his own dad. When the prophet comes to Jesse's house and, and he says, uh, the, the next king of Israel is in your house, he, Jesse lines up all of his sons. And Samuel looks at him and says, you sure you don't have some more? Oh, I forgot about David. Go get, go get that, that little ruddy, red-headed kid in here. Comes in, sure enough, that was him. And one of the first things that you see David do is when he shows up on the battlefield, and there's this giant named Goliath out there. And he's, he's challenging all of God's people, God's chosen, God's anointed people, his, his loved people. He's challenging them. And David just look, takes one look and says, who is this guy who doesn't even have covenant, who's talking about God's people? And he goes out there and he faces the giant. And, and he all the different things, he, Saul tries to get him put on his armor and all of this and and he, we know the story. He ends up going out there and he defeats the giant. As soon as David, a man after God's own heart, defeats the giant, if you read the story, all of a sudden all of the Israelites, they had some courage and they end up chasing the Philistines and taking them, taking them out, just, just chasing them all. And then you, you, you start to read the story in about 1 Samuel chapter 18 uh, when, when they're coming back into town. The people start singing a song about David and Saul. And they're singing that David kills the ten thousands, kills the enemy by tens of thousands, and Saul kills them by the thousands. Now right after that, you, you find David. And listen to all that David does for Saul. Because all David ever does is stick up for Saul. All he ever does is, is fight Saul's battles for him. See, you would think all oh, those promises that came along with, with David, whenever he defeated the giant, what came next for him was just more battles. It was one battle after another battle. I don't know about y'all, but when I read about David, I'll, I, I put myself in the story as David. Come on, don't look so holy and spiritual tonight. I never read it the other way around. I'm always the good guy in the story. So anyway... After they sing about David killing tens of thousands and Saul killing thousands, Saul gets mad and he hurls a spear at David. David's over there playing the harp, playing some soothing music. A man after God's own heart playing soothing music for Saul. And Saul gets mad and angry and all of a sudden grabs a spear, throws a spear. Now we know David, he don't miss. So if you throw your spear at David, you better be a good shot. And he missed. 
So right there, David had every chance. He could have taken Saul out right there. He probably could have been justified, but he didn't. He ran for his life. You keep on going through the, the book of 1 Samuel, and you find that, that Samuel... Or, or that Saul is after David again, and this time David, uh, David and his men, they've backed up and they're hiding in a cave, and of all things, another comedy, Saul comes in to use the bathroom in the cave. The Bible's full of crazy stories. So David's men are like, here he is, this is your chance, you can take him out, he don't even know that we're in here, and so David comes up and he cuts a corner off of the robe, and uh, uh, he doesn't do anything. Then he even feels guilty about cutting off the corner of his robe. And I want you to listen to some language. I know I'm jumping around just a little bit here. But First Samuel chapter 24, I don't know if they can get that up on the screen real fast. But listen to the language. I never really paid attention to all of this language. And, and I'm like, Saul, what are you doing? Listen. He says, when David finished speaking, this is verse 16, Saul called back, is that really you, my son David? Then he began to cry, and he said to David, You are a better man than I am, for I would have, for you have repaid me good for evil. Yes, you have been amazingly kind to me today. For when the Lord put me in a place where you could have killed me, you didn't do it. And then jump to verse 20. Listen to what Saul says to David. Listen to this. He says, And now I realize that you are surely going to be king, and that the kingdom of Israel will flourish under your rule. This is the language that he's saying to David, who he knows is already anointed king, who's he's already seen him fight battles, and the people love him. So Saul was satisfied with having David fight all of his battles, but didn't want to give him the throne. Here again, you see David? He says, what have I ever done to you? I've never done anything to you. He plays the harp. Saul throws the spear at him. Again, they chase him into a cave. You go to 1 Samuel chapter uh, 25. You don't have to turn there, but there's a, a woman named Abigail who has a husband whose name is Nabal, and Nabal means fool. And he was a fool because when David came and asked him for some things, he's like, I'm not giving you anything. When David had been providing protection for all of his crops, and all of his livestock. And so he did a really foolish thing. Anyway, uh, Abigail meets David, says, hey, don't do anything to my husband. He's a fool just like his name is. So David agrees. He doesn't do anything. But when Abigail tells uh, Nabal what he had actually done, he ends up having a stroke and dying. David ends up marrying Abigail. And so you find out, I, I can't explain it any other way than this, is that this is how the enemy will work against you. Like he doesn't want you to have any happiness in your life. Because he had lost his wife, now here he is. I guess that uh, Saul found out that, that he had something going for him again. So in the next chapter, in chapter 26, you find Saul showing up with 3,000 men again, even though we already read that Saul has said, David, you're going to make a great king. And it always bothered me. I don't know if it bothered you, but when I read this, I was like, why don't Saul just get out of the way? Does anybody else feel like that? You know he's going to be a great king. You, he's told you and you have seen by all of his actions. He plays the harp to calm you down. He, he sticks up for you. He fights your battles for you. But you refuse to step out of the way and allow him to have the seat of the throne. And what ends up happening is that Saul ends up getting trapped by the enemy and having to fall on his own sword. 
I was thinking about this, like, why didn't he get out of the way? What is wrong with him? And like I said, I always read, my, read myself into the story as David, and then all of a sudden it occurred to me that I'm not David, I'm actually Saul. And maybe you'll see yourself in this as well, because I'm always, I'm always wanting Jesus to go fight all my battles for me. Jesus, go get them. Jesus said, there's this sickness I need you to take care of. Jesus, those people, they don't like me, so I know you don't like them. Satisfied having him fight all of my battles, but my flesh always rears its head up. I'll look at Jesus and say, you're a great king. I, I just told you all the good things. He, he, if we stay connected to him, he'll give us all the fruits of his spirit, the love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, all the good things that he has for us, and we just want him to go fight our battles for us. And so tonight I just want you to consider some things. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18 and 19 says this, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. And it says that same mighty that same power is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. And now we know this, that Jesus has ascended into the heavenly places and he is seated. The Bible describes it that he's seated far above. And when we're talking about the things of God far above means you can't even imagine it. Like you can't even express how far above he is. And it says he's far above every ruler, every darkness, everything that would come against God's people. All the evil in this world, Jesus right now is seated far above it. And we want him to fight our battles. But in Ephesians chapter 2 it says that in Christ, if we are in Christ, that we are seated with him. I don't know about you, but this is one thing I know. You don't sit down until the job is finished. See, Jesus has completely and utterly defeated the enemy. And the hardest thing for us as believers to do, like, it's to enter into the rest that's available to us. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus said, Come to me, you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Somebody say rest. I want to invite you this evening, just like it kind of, it struck me when I was actually out riding my bike and I thought, why, Saul, what a dummy, why don't you get out of the way, why don't you allow Jesus, you know, you want all of his power, you want his victories in, in your life, but you won't give him the throne, and so he ends up losing his own life when I am sure that we would read a different story in the Bible if Saul would have ever just humbled himself, stepped his flesh out of the way. Because we're the same way, if you don't know. We can't do it. That's why Jesus had to come. Saul made a show of it. You, you read about the Israelites, and they walked out of uh, slavery. Rich people with gold. They asked whatever they wanted from their captors, and they were given gold and silver, and they walk out. And then what do they do with it? They build a golden calf. So many times God is there for us. He gives us these things, and then we forget who gave them to us. We forget the blessing. So I want to encourage you tonight to stay connected to the vine. Stay, stay connected to Jesus. During this season, don't allow depression to get on you. Don't allow all these gatherings that you're going to have with those crazy aunts and uncles. Don't let them get under your skin.
Come on, tell them about Jesus. Stay connected to the vine. Listen, if y'all can just bow your heads, close your eyes this evening. I might have preached a little shorter than what y'all are used to on Wednesdays. Never heard anybody complain about that, though, so. Maybe that's you, and maybe you're in this room tonight, and you can see where you're commanding Jesus to take care of this. And Jesus, I need you to take care of that. And Jesus, I need you to do this for me. But you've never said, Jesus, I can't live without you. I don't want to live just through seasons and moments of happiness, but I want to be connected to the vine. I'm not saying you're not saved tonight. I believe that this is a journey that you're on. When you receive Jesus Christ, you're saved, but I believe there's still an entering into the promises of God. There's still a battle. There's still uh, spiritual battles that you've got to walk through. So maybe tonight you're in this room and you say, you know what, there's some, some areas where Jesus, I want to make you Lord. I want to give you your seated place in my heart. I'm not going to be satisfied to live my life just with you fighting battles for me. But I want to get my flesh out of the way. If that's you tonight, can you just shoot your hand up? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Hands all over this room. Come on, I recognized it in myself in some some areas of my life. I was still trying to make things happen. Always, if I can just get to this point in my life, then I'll be happy then. If I can just get that paid for. When when my kids are just reach this age, and what we end up doing is we end up just wishing our whole lives away for the next moment and the next moment. When Jesus taught us to pray, he said, pray like this. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. To me, when I hear that, I understand Jesus is saying, listen, kingdom things are here for you right now. It's not someday when you die, you're going to go to heaven. No, you can begin to experience thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So God, right now, we want to connect to that source. God, right now, all of us that raised our hands, we give our hearts fully to you. Lord, we're stepping aside. God, I thank you for your power. Your power that gives us the fruits of the Spirit. Your love, Father. I pray right now that by your Holy Spirit that you would just flow through this place. Just the Spirit of love. God, I pray right now that in this house your Holy Spirit would just fill us with joy unspeakable. That it doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter the circumstances. Our our joy comes from our Savior, not our circumstances. God, I pray joy in this house tonight. Lord, I pray right now people who need peace. Lord, that they're just filled with anxiety. That are always worried, always anxious. God, right now, I ask your Holy Spirit, give them the gift of peace. As we recognize that peace is not going to come from our own trying and our own yearning, but simply resting in you and in your finished work. God, give peace in this house. Lord, give us patience. Also, who are struggling with anxiety. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for the privilege of being in the body of Christ all together.
We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we give God just a praise offering? Is that all right?